look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing? <laughs> Fine. How about you? It was a bit of a lineup, my friend. I was at the poll this morning. Oh, yeah. This, I, this I, morning. I voted early. I voted early. Um, I wanted to get out of the way because um, I don't want to stand in line on Tuesday. Um, but it was still busy. Well, so I voted on... I went to vote on uh, Wednesday, mm-hmm. and the line was... So long that I didn't vote Wednesday. Okay. And I went back on Thursday. Uh, Thursday? Yeah. Bad When the weather turned bad. No lines, so I got in really quick. There you go. Yeah. So, so yeah. voting is weather dependent. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> it must be. Let's see what happens on Tuesday. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, uh, it's an interesting race for sure. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, on today's show. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about the, the major parties, uh, some of the differences, and we'll have a terrific guest to, um, to go through that with us. Yeah, we're also going to talk about alternative investments. Um, why are they becoming increasingly popular? Mm-hmm. You're going to hear a lot about alternatives and liquid alternatives and what, you know, so what are they? How yeah. do you invest in them? What's the benefits of them? Why should you may, pos- why you may possibly want to have them in your portfolio? Yeah. Um, those types of things, are, we're going to have that conversation today too. Yep, that sounds, uh, that sounds good. Um, and let, let's talk a little bit about, um, as we often do, just kind of a week in review here. Um, I'm going to throw something at you here because Uh-oh. yeah, I just don't think, I, the markets didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Uh, there wasn't a lot of really major market moving noise, yeah. maybe a bit of sidelines just drifting until earnings season started. Yeah, I think there was nothing politically that really moved anything. There wasn't really anything economically that was going to move anything. Um, and so, yeah, pretty much flat, uh, flat week, nothing great. Um, however, yeah, I'll call this week the week of the banks. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so I'll start off in the United sure. States. J.P. Morgan came out with their numbers, as well as Fargo, PNC Financial, so yeah. forth. Came out with their numbers. Pretty good numbers. Pretty good numbers. Pretty good numbers. So maybe the banks are not are, are indicated that, that the economy in the United States is not as bad as, as people were thinking. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it, uh, we did get a bit of a, uh, a bump on that, right? So we're kicking off earnings season. It's created a little bit of optimism there. We'll see how this flows out. But, um, but the banks did reasonably well. Yeah. So uh, the, other part of, yeah. Yeah, the other part of the bank's week or the week of the banks was on the Canadian side. Yeah. So um, there was a gentleman by the name of Steve Eisman. Portfolio manager at uh, Newberger and Berman. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think that's how people would it. know him as you know the from that movie, The Big Short, or the book, The Big Short. Correct. So he was the one who basically called the demise of the banking sector in the United States yep. when uh, 2008 hit. Yep. He made a ton of money for his investors by what's called shorting, which is basically selling the investment. In advance, profiting when it falls, and then when it falls, yeah. buying it back so That's you make right. a profit. So he was on um, a major news network here in Canada. Came yep. out and said he is shorting the Canadian banks. Yep. So now, because of his call that he's made in the past and everything, so people are start t- talking about you know the shorting of Canadian stock, Canadian bank stocks. That's right. And is there a problem? I I, I want to just kind of not really address the shorting of the or the benefits of Canadian banks because. Um, I think what we need to look at is what's the fundamentals of why he's thinking of what he's thinking. Right. And one of the key things he talked about is is loan losses. 
And loan losses are when an institution, a financial institution, just writes off um, debt that they've can't re- they can't collect. They can't collect. Yeah. So here's some interesting information, Dave. Um, credit card uh, information came out recently. Delinquencies of 90 days or or greater, relatively low. So not not a big issue right now. Yeah. But here's like something that came out of Royal Bank's report. A Royal, Royal Bank report said that consumers have cut their average monthly payments. Okay. Originally, back in February. Sorry, back in October. To their credit cards, you're saying. To their credit, to their credit cards. Let's be clear, yeah. Okay, so this is credit card debt. Yeah. Most loans are fixed payment loans. So you're paying principal and interest, so you're just paying that every single month. Think of a car loan yeah. or a mortgage, mortgage or whatever. Yeah. On a credit card, you have to pay a certain percentage of the outstanding balance, but you can pay the whole balance at any point in time. Right. A minimum balance up to the full thing. Correct. Yeah. So back in October, um, they saw that consumers were paying about 50% of their credit card balance. Balance. Okay. Now, fast forward to February, it's gone down to 38%. Mm. So Canadians are paying down their credit card less. So you and I had a conversation about this Mm -hmm. and said, okay, well, that's great for the banks because they're going to make more interest on that outstanding balance. Sure. Assuming. Sure. My concern is, what's that, what is the sign of the Canadian consumer when they're unable to make that payment? Or unwilling. Or unwilling. And, and, and even if you look at, um, according to the Bank of Canada, residential mortgage growth mm-hmm. registered a 3.2% year-over-year in February. This is the lowest reading since 2001. Mm-hmm. And barely half... Of the 6% monthly average logged since the housing boom gathered uh, steam in 2009. Mm -hmm. So less mortgages. People are not buying as many homes. That's partly because of the interest rates going up. Partly because of tax changes. Tax changes. Maybe delay here. There's some other reasons. It's all economically driven at the end of the day. And what I find um, interesting about this shorting of Canadian bank stocks, about the credit card balances, about no, not as much mortgage growth. It, those are all indicators that things are slowing down in this country. Mm-hmm. And what concerns me is the amount of people that have asked for second opinions from us mm-hmm. in the, this week and how much debt they still have. Right. Retirees or people entering retirement right. are entering retirement with more and more debt. Right. And we're not talking people you know, that have no savings. Yep. We're talking about millionaires. Right. Multi-millionaires. Yep. Putting a lot of money in debt. Right. And hoping, hope being the key word here, that they're going to be able to service that debt in these low interest rates throughout their retirement. Right. So my concern is if any demographic that should be more fiscally ready, it would be the boomers. It would be the ones who are entering retirement and the ones, at least anecdotally this week, the ones that I've seen, the ones that you've seen, mm-hmm. um, are, are in more and more debt. And, and these numbers from Royal Bank are a testament to it. Well, what, uh, yeah, I don't want to wave, wave the, the white flag yet on that because it's, you know, the, one data point doesn't make a trend. We, we've got to see the trend. So if the trend is that, um, uh, Canadian consumers, and listen, we've talked about this for a long time. Canadian consumers have used their bank, uh, their sorry, home. their, their homes as an ATM, and the home prices have now flattened out or started to move lower, and interest rates have started to move higher. That's a bad combination there, right? Because you're going to eat into your overall net worth, that asset. So guess what people are doing now? 
they're going to the car dealerships right. and they're trading in their vehicle. They're getting a loan on that old vehicle to get a newer vehicle mm-hmm. with lower payments for the next eight years. Mm-hmm. Eight-year car loans, Dave. Yep. And they're entering retirement. Right. That 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 concerns me. Like you're well, loading yourself up with debt, and this is not good debt. This is depreciating debt or non-existent assets. So lifestyle debt. Right. And you're loading up on this as you go into retirement and you want your fixed savings to somehow pay for that and your lifestyle. Yeah, well, yeah. So I can make an argument on both sides of that. I'm less concerned about those two things than I am, you know, buying new stereos and, you know, financing a vacation and all those kinds of things. Um, um, So... You can definitely do some planning. You, you know, you got to lay money out for a car, whether you pay fifty thousand today or you're going to pay payments over time. But it has to be planned for, right? You got to understand what the implications of that. It's got to be built into your lifestyle cost, right? But the the the, the bigger problem, the economic problem, I want to go back to for a minute. So, we've raised this issue of of the Canadian economy, and there's lots of people we talk to, uh, you know, clients and just people on the street, and uh, people are concerned about the Canadian economy. Here's the good news: is depending on your view of the Canadian economy. Uh, you don't have to be invested here. You True. can be invested anywhere you want. Yeah, that's a growth conversation. No, oh, I think that's. I, I think that's. Uh, we see lots of portfolios. They're so heavily Canadian invested. It's crazy. Right. So if this is just my point, and we've talked about this before, is if you do have concerns about a particular area, and then we're talking about Canada today, with a push of a button, you can take your money out of Canada and you can invest somewhere else. Yeah, so if uh, if Morneau or Trudeau listening to the show, Dave Pop, which is the one who said that, not me. I he's the one promoting capital leaving this country. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not the only one unfortunately. Well, right? I I'm again, I'm I'm I'm, no, I'm only joking. Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. I think that uh, you know, you you go where the money is to be made. Yeah. That's simple. That's right. And and you've got the freedom to be able to do that. We and that's a message to all levels of government. Yep. That if capital is flow is flowing out of this country, if the average Canadian can invest anywhere in the world, and with the proper structure, they're not investing in Canada, they're not investing in Alberta, they're not investing in Calgary. That's a testament to our economy. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, uh, listen, we're going to have to uh, go to break here uh, just a minute. But before we do, let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Yeah, let's talk about all this a little bit further and how you bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, April 23rd, 8 th- 8.30 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. Now, you need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. You're curious about what an alternative investment is? You interested in infrastructure? Stick around for the next segment. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, we talk often about alternative assets. That's right. Okay? An asset class that is uh, not defined as traditionally stocks, bonds, or cash, right? The three traditional asset classes. Yep. Lots of things can fall into that alternative asset class, different strategies, uh, different kinds of investments. And one of the areas is infrastructure. Yes. So one of the things we know globally as, uh, you know, as the globe, uh, like the U.S. has to replenish or rebuild uh, or refurbish, say, an, an airport. That's an infrastructure product. You need to build toll highways somewhere in the world. Correct. Right? Uh, pipelines. Seaports. Seaports. You get it, right? Toll yeah. roads. All these kinds yep. of things. Um, and there's ways to participate in that. And we've seen a trend uh, amongst pension plans globally investing in these kinds of assets. So we thought we'd do an educational piece on That's that. That's right. Yeah, let's educate them. We've got Darren Spencer, Director, Alternative Investment Consulting, Russell Investments, joining us today. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
Let's um, let's maybe just start at a very high level, um, and you can explain to our listeners a little bit about what global infrastructure is. Of course. So, as you alluded to in your comments earlier, these are things that you know we as uh, people in, in modern society use every day. So, whether we're you know using electricity to turn on the lights in our house, whether we're going on on vacation through an airport, whether we're driving, uh, you know, to work on a toll road or, or using our cell phones. Um, these are all things that we use on a day-to-day basis. And I think with respect to infrastructure, a good way to kind of think about those assets is really investments that provide uh, essential services uh, in an economy, as well as uh, providing long-term uh, sustainable income streams. For investors, yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. Now, um, you and I have chatted before, and um, the ne- the numbers are staggering here. Give us maybe give uh, our listening audience a sense of the size of the infrastructure, global infrastructure build out that we're expecting to see. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed, some studies have put that as high as forty nine trillion dollars. Yes, that's that's forty nine trillion with a T. And one of the things that is really driving that is again the the need to build and modernise infrastructure investments around the world. And while $49 trillion is a very large amount of money, obviously by you know, anyone's stretch of the imagination, the reality is also that governments around the world are fiscally challenged and they simply don't have the resources required to be spent on financing those investments themselves. So my point being, there's going to be more and more reliance on private capital sources to come in and help close that financing gap. And, and another way of kind of looking at that is if you think about you know, the, the opportunity set that we have to invest in um, across our universe of companies, if you go back to you know the mid-2000s, the total market cap of that opportunity set was around half a trillion dollars. Whereas today, that opportunity set is more like $4 trillion. So as you can see, there's been a significant increase in the investable opportunity set, given that um, we need to spend a lot more money on investing in and upgrading the world's infrastructure stock. Who would you say are the the typical investors or who should be investing in these types of investments? Right. Well, I think, uh, as you kind of mentioned earlier, this asset class has been one that is uh, very popular with pension funds around the world and, and including here in Canada. In fact, uh, Canadian pensions, believe it or not, are widely regarded by many uh, in the institutional community globally to be the leaders in infrastructure investing, meaning they've been doing it for the longest and they have the largest allocations in their portfolios. In fact, if you look at the average allocation to the infrastructure asset class across Canadian pension plans, that is actually 7%. So clearly, it's an important part of what pension funds uh, in this country have been doing. Whereas if you look at a typical retail client portfolio, a typical allocation to infrastructure is actually, you know, less than, or alternative investments is less than 2%. So clearly, there is a a gap there. And we think that particularly for a Canadian retail client, getting exposure to the global infrastructure asset class uh, makes a lot of sense because it gives you the opportunity to diversify um, your assets out of Canada, invest in global markets, you're getting the benefit of the growth opportunity that we've just described, and you're also able to, to participate in uh, 
an investment that provides a, a good source of income, uh, which is typically superior to what you would receive from either Canadian bonds or Canadian equities. And then thirdly, the benefit of uh, improved portfolio diversification as well. Now, this is an asset class um, that Canadian, just retail investors in general, haven't generally had access to in the past. Um, you know, very few people have a billion dollars burning a hole in their pocket just to, you know, buy a toll road or a pipeline or something along those lines. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, fund companies are are pooling money in order to give retail investors an opportunity to invest in this space. So, if you were educating a retail investor that's not been exposed to this space before, Darren, what 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 is it that a person needs to consider? Sure. Well, I think that's a very good point because if you think about it in the context of, um, you know, particularly a, a Canadian investor, you know, obviously a Canadian investor has access, you know, to, to, to pipelines and, and energy infrastructure. Um, you know, that's not too challenge, challenging to get exposure yeah. to. But more importantly, there is much more to invest in infrastructure than, than just energy. So, again, if you think about uh, investing in airports, investing in toll roads, Many of these assets are simply not uh, open to public investment in in North America. Many of the the best airports in the world are, in fact, um, assets that are listed on stock exchanges outside of North America. So that will be things like um, you know Sydney Airport in Australia, um, Zurich Airport in Switzerland, um, airports in Germany, the UK, Japan. So it's very difficult, if not impossible, for an investor to get exposure to some of those types of assets by their own, on their own volition. So I guess the benefit of, um, of getting access to these investments on a global basis is you can participate in those in a way that's going to give you exposure to the infrastructure asset class on a global basis. So things like you know, toll roads, airports, seaports, uh, cell towers, and the like that you know, a typical Canadian investor would not be able to access uh, themselves. So, Darren, uh, we've got a couple minutes left before we have to go. Um, help these listeners understand what makes the value of these infrastructure projects go up and what makes them go down, because I think it's very difficult for an average investor to understand how does a seaport increase in value versus decrease or how these companies that are, that are, are in them uh, um, change value sure. as well. Sure. Well, I think at the end of the day, it gets back to, uh, again, what, what the cash flows attached to these companies are. So in the case of, um, for a, uh, like a seaport, obviously, the, the, what's going to drive the value of that company is, is things like the level of global trade, how many, uh, you know, how much, how much global trade is, is expanding or contracting. Um, but similarly, in the case of an airport, one of the things that uh, where you see in airports is that air travel around the world is continuing to grow. The numbers you know, just keep growing on an on a annual basis. In addition to that, one of the things that's interesting about airport investing is uh, you can create value not just from uh, the, the airport itself, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is that today in many of the privatised airports that we own in our portfolios, they have... You know, very nice sh- uh, shopping and, and dining experiences where you can go there and spend, you know, easy, it's easy to spend a lot of money and, and, and duty free and things like that. So that's another angle for um, comp- airport companies to increase the, the revenue that they have attached to these assets and clearly uh, in, impacts the, um, the value of these companies on, a, on an ongoing basis. I think uh, at the end of the day, though, one of the things that I emphasize is that with infrastructure, because they are more defensive assets, 
the cash flows do tend to be uh, more resilient in times of, you know, even in times of economic downturns. So at the end of the day, you know, if you look at our portfolio today, you're probably looking at an annualised um, growth rate of between 6 to 8% in earnings across the entire portfolio. And that tends to be pretty consistent, again, because you're able to invest in assets that people are using you know, every day um, in different elements of their life. Darren, I, I think we'll leave it at that. I want to thank you very much for uh, educating our listening um, uh, audience on an asset class I think most people are relatively unfamiliar with. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We've been joined by Darren Spencer. He's a director, alternative investment consulting at Russell Investments. Basil, we're going to talk about alternative investments as one of the five pillars of our upcoming seminar. Let's just remind everybody the date. Yeah, that's on Tuesday, April 23rd at the Carriage House in 8.30 p.m. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400 or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. With days to go before the election, let's get uh, the major parties' major points and help you decide which way you're going to go. Stick around for that on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, we've got to talk a little bit about um, uh, a week upcoming. There's a little event taking place next week that, uh, according to the advanced polls, a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, amazing how many people have already made their decision. Um, the volume, mm -hmm. the conversations that are already happening about the about the advanced polls. We yep. haven't even had the election. <laughs> exactly. Normally you get the buzz about the election, yep. but uh, you're getting a lot about these advanced polls, which is very interesting. A lot of interest. I mean, there's a ton of topics, environment, character, uh, taxes, economy, the whole bunch of stuff. We're going to try to do justice uh, in 10 minutes on some of these key, uh, key elements before the official election date. David Terrace is a professor of communication studies and the holder of the Ralph Klein chair uh, in media studies at MRU. David, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, David. Okay, my, my friend. Try to make sense of this for us. Let's let's talk a little bit about. And listen, no disrespect, I suppose, to um, to uh, the parties that we're not going to talk about. But it seems to be, according to the polls, kind of a, do, a two horse race right now. Um, and people, you know, many people have voted, as we've said, but there's still some that are trying to make up their minds. Maybe you can help us understand a little bit about the big picture differences uh, between you know between the uh, the two parties that are leading in the polls. Yeah, so I, I think you've just made a, an important point, just the way you introduced the topic, uh, that will deal with the, the NDP and will deal with the UCP. You know, the reality is that there's no more middle in Alberta politics, that, that basically the Liberals and the Alberta Party are going to do very poorly, that the middle has collapsed. And, you know, that's a whole topic in and of itself, right. but, but I think that's an, it's important to acknowledge that, you know, the election will be um, about these two political parties and that the political center has dissolved in Alberta. Yeah, I think I think that's an, an important point, um, and it it seems to be a very. I mean, you're you're a professor in um, in media studies. I'm fascinated to watch the uh, the media, the the different kinds of messaging that are coming from the various parties. Um, it seems to be a divisive race this time. Um, maybe you can comment a little bit about uh, sort of some of the key the the key differences between UCP and NDP. Keeping in mind that, of course, our audience tends to be an older audience transitioning to living in retirement. What do we need to be really conscious of here? Well, I mean, first of all, in terms of your audience, uh, what we're getting from polls is that 
voters over 55 tend to be big supporters of the UCP and uh, and will come out to vote in greater numbers than, than younger Albertans. So that demographic is really important. In fact, is extremely decisive in terms of the election. But, you know, the whole thing is, is that the background music here has been anxiety and, and despair and anger over the economy. Yeah. And Kenny's messaging has been relentless, and it's every day, and it's all about jobs and pipelines and taxes and and Ottawa. And I think his winning hand here, it, if he wins, who knows? But but I, I, the polls show that he will win. Is linking Notley to Trudeau and linking Notley to a failing economy. He has made her wear the economy. And um, and my, so, so, so I think he's, you know, th- this is what people are interested in. This is how they're going to vote based on jobs, on food on the table, on economic hope. And that's been his campaign. And he's been relentless, and it's unmistakable what his strategy is. My sense is that the new new Democrats have made a strategic error. You know, I, I would say if she, if if Notley loses the election, this is her fatal error, and her her error is ceding that ground to Kenny. Mm-hmm. You know, having you know leaving those arguments to him. If if I had been managing her campaign, I'd say you have to run on the economy. You have to defend the investments that you've made. You have to talk about you know the low debt to GDP that we have in Alberta, about diversifying the economy, about your support for the oil patch, all of that. And I think I think she should have run on that. And she should, I mean she does mention things like that, but she hasn't run on it the way Kenny has run on it. And again, for, for in this time of economic despair and worry, mm-hmm. you have to address those issues and you can't leave it to your opponent to command that, that high ground. So, so David, you mentioned earlier that, that um, the 55 plus is generally UCP or, or pretty much are going to vote for UCP. So are we saying that there is a difference in mindset between two different age categories? And if so, why is that? Like, why are we not seeing younger individuals being more pro UCP versus NDP? If that's what your your research shows. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to know why because you know you can argue that the cuts that not that that uh, Kenny intends to make. To healthcare will be very, you know, that, that, that people over 55 will bear the brunt of that, and it, it, will, it will not be pretty. But just generally, in, in terms of the political map, um, basically the NDP is playing a hockey game where it controls only, where, where it can tend in only two parts of the ice. And rural Alberta, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be a place that they will do well. They they may get shut out there in terms of seats. So, so older voters, rural Alberta, and I would say the suburbs, both in Calgary and and in Edmonton, are likely those those are the hot places for the UCP. Mm-hmm. That's where they win. If they're going to win this election, that's where they're going to win this election. Okay, David, let's go down this path a little bit. Um, if we accept that this is really about the economy then, um, 
then let's talk about how the economy, in your impression, how the economy fares under both parties. Well, we don't we don't know, you know, we we don't know how it will fare under the UCP. Um, but I, but I, I will say this that you know if if the UCP wins and they win based on the economy and their promises and. I think that there, that Kenny is creating an incredible expectation that, you know, for those worried about the economy, vote for me. I'll make things better. Right. My tax cuts will make things better. The way I deal with the deficit will make things better. I'll get you a pipeline. And so he built, he hoists up, you know, this, this huge mountain of public expectations. And the question is, if he doesn't deliver in a relatively short period of time, um, you know, all that, that whole edifice, that whole mountain, that whole castle can come crashing down, crashing down. And so, so that's, so, so he's building up expectations and it's a dangerous, you know, it's a dangerous game if he doesn't follow through on it. For the, for the new Democrats, I think, what the premier has laid out in terms of you know any party that gets in we're getting budget cuts like there's no there's no question about that but her what she's talking about in terms of of daycare policy for instance of diversifying the economy and particularly diversifying the oil and gas economy um, and the infrastructure uh, promises in terms of you know the green line and the cancer hospital and expanding the Red Deer Hospital and, and, and expanding the Peter Lougheed Hospital, you know, that's, that's a message that you would think would, would resonate with older voters because there's, there is so much, you know, emphasis on infrastructure and hospitals. But, um, but we'll see, you know. Uh, people see her record. I, I think, again, what Kenny has, has been able to do is saying there's a, there's a, pol- a faltering economy and linking that faltering economy to her. And I think she has, you know, again, ceded that ground to him. And I think it's absolutely a fundamental mistake in her strategy. David, I want to thank you for your time today. I guess we're going to find out in a very short period uh, whether or not that analysis is true and whether the polls are giving us the right indications. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you for asking. We've been joined by David Terrace, Professor of Communication Studies and holder of the Ralph Klein Chair in Media Studies at MRU. Uh, my friend, this is going to be a really interesting <laughs> uh, you know, conclusion. We'll see, I guess, next week uh, what the direction is going to be. But you know what? Um, parties come and go. Politics change. Um, and the one thing that remains constant for our client base or people that are approaching retirement is you've got to get through it all. Yeah, and it's going to be a, a battle, and so it's going to be a tough go no matter which government is so i'd like to show uh, talk about um after the election yeah we have our seminar the week after so that's on tuesday april 23rd yep. at 8 30 p.m at the carriage house Inn in the south end of the city we're going to have an alberta tilt tilt to this we're going to talk about what the new party that came on that comes on board what are they going to help in regards to retirement and, and how does it all fit together so you need to reserve your seats for tuesday april 23rd 8.30 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to give us a call to reserve, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. What happens if you can't support the lifestyle you want in retirement? On the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the process of working through that challenge. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. 
Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Faisal, uh, I don't, we talked in the first segment a little bit about uh, the, the banks, the Canadian economy, and, uh, and debt. Okay, yep. debt. Yep. Um, you know, when we were preparing for the show, we were sort of talking about the week and, and some of the sort of trends, things that we've seen uh, similar. And yep. it was interesting what we talked about. Uh, because there was, uh, there's a series of portfolios and scenarios, lifestyle scenarios we've seen where people are relatively young, moving, wanting to retire, and they've got, uh, in many cases, they've got debt. Yeah. Okay. So there's a combination of things going on there, right? And I remember, you know, there's there was one in particular we were talking about. We were uh, a bit frustrated, but I think it serves as a good example um, of options and things you need to think about. So here's the question: What if, what if somebody comes uh, or is thinking about retirement, and they put their material together? And there's a question about whether or not it can be done. Okay, so material meaning their financial information. Yeah, financials, their assets, liabilities, the whole nine yards. Okay, and what they want to spend and, and how support. Much they need. And, yeah, yeah okay. where they want to travel to and okay. all the toys they want to have. <clears throat> Might not work. Okay. Might not work. Correct. Um, one particular case we were talking about. Young, late 50s. Okay? Reasons for retirement don't matter. Want to retire now or within the next couple of years. It's interesting how you said reasons don't matter. Mm-hmm. Because I think they do. Okay, I think I, the, actually, I would. I, would agree I, I with think that. the catalyst for making that decision to retire, quote unquote, early, late fifties at sixty years of age, when the average age in Canada is not fifty-five to, to sixty. Freedom fifty-five was gone a long time ago. It was a heck of a commercial, though. It was. It was, it was a great <laughs> campaign. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple reasons why people choose to retire before I'll call normal retirement age of sixty-five. Okay. Okay. It could be because of health. Yeah. It could be because you're their forced. health or their friends' health, or yeah, or the close fear to them. of yep. something yep. going yep. wrong. Yep. yep. Um, there are cases where there is such a wide gap in the age or age differential between husband and wife. Yes. And so that. the yep. sooner that we can retire, we can enjoy things together. Right. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of other reasons. What I find interesting about a... How about I'm tired and I hate my job now? That, yeah, there, there, there's exhaustion. Because there's a couple of instances we saw this week. There's economic exhaustion and then there's employment exhaustion. Right. Right? So I'm just tired. You know, Alberta's not growing. Canada's not growing. I'm done. Like right. I, I want to... The businesses that I work for has cut. I'm doing twice as much work, right? What, we For the same pay yeah, or maybe yeah. less. Maybe less. You yeah. know, whatever. Like yeah. There's, there's yeah. a whole bunch of reasons yeah. why people pull the pin. Yeah. And so... What I what I first want to focus on with this conversation is about people have choices, and they have multiple choices. I think we get so zoned in when 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 you meet with an advisor and you say, "Here's my assets or my savings. Here's how much money I need. Can I make it work?" Right, and that's the only scenario they look at. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like, there's so many choices you can make, right? And, and I think what, what, we, what we don't do well in this industry is to explain that at the end of the day, it comes down to happiness. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm going to steal. choices will lead to happiness. Yeah, but I'm going to steal a line from, uh, from a client of ours uh, and a good friend of mine. Um, when I use the word retirement, I always get my hand slapped with him. He calls it life 3.0. Okay. But, but, but I say that uh, because it's a different mindset for him. Right. If you're if you're trying to retire, get away from something. Not even retire. If I'm trying to get away from something, yeah. And I'm trying to do something else. Right. 
for him, that was just like 3.0. I just needed to make a, a change in what I'm doing. Correct. So talk about alternatives. The problem is the, is the, the what do I call it, the, the forest through the trees problem. When you're in the middle of the fight, often it only looks like there's one, out, there's one alternative to get out of that. Correct. And there's not. And I find people make emotional decisions, not rational decisions. So I'll give you an example. Met with a couple this week, and they said to me, I'm going to quit my job. I'm tired of my job. Yep. So I'm just going to go and start a business. Yep. And I don't have to put that much effort, time, and energy into that like I do in my job. And I said, there's no such thing as running a business and not putting in a lot of hours. Right. Especially in the first three to five years. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right? So I, I don't understand how you can work half the amount of hours you're working at a, at a, at a, at a job yeah. and have the same income or supplementary income. Right. And like have it, all the responsibility. It's of very owning. rare. Yeah. That that's that's probably an that. unfair assumption to go into it with, right? right? That, we don't see that. But that was an emotional reaction. Right. Because they, their, their assumption was made because they thought it would be easier. Right. And so they, the decision is to become, have less hours to work. Right. Because they're, they're exhausted. Right. The other part of that is, is when you make emotional decisions and I, you know, how much money do I need to retire? The retirement's the first thing, then the affordability of your lifestyle secondary. I think that's opposite. Mm-hmm. What lifestyle do you want, and can you do that at the time frame you want to do it at? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw this idea out um, so we can sort of drill down a little bit. A lot of what we do in our job, really, if you boil it down, is working with clients to respectfully deconstruct what they have acquired through their life, their the savings. assets, yep. the savings, you know, the, whatever yep. it might be, and then respectfully reconstruct it in a way that supports their new goals, objectives, and lifestyle. Correct. A good example of this, um, we were reviewing a case where um, uh, a client had, again, they were relatively young, want to retire, I'm tired, Um, lots of toys. I'm talking about uh, ski-doos, boats and stuff like that. See lots of that. Um, One of the things you can think about is the amount of capital you've got tied up in these Yep. Toys. Yep. Okay. Which can be very significant, right? And the amount of time you use it. Extend that to a a, a recreational property as well, okay? RV. RV, whatever it might be. How much time am I using it? How much capital is tied up? And what are the alternatives? Yeah, a Calgary golf membership. Oh, yeah. Talk all about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a heck of an investment. A little dig to Dave Pop, which for those of you who don't know, he has a membership, so... (laughs) I think he uses it seven times out the year, and that's using every single day that he can golf in Calgary, right? Beautiful. <laughs> um, I think we're, we're, what you're kind of go through, going through is that alternatives. There's alternatives oh, to owning everything, right? We you don't have to own a whole bunch of stuff. Well, what if to I want, have the same lifestyle, right? What if I want to spend a month on the water, you know, in it, BC? You can rent a boat, and I can rent a cabin, and you can rent an RV. I can rent everything. It's, Welcome it, to the world of Uber. Uber, that's right. And Airbnb right. and so on and so forth. Renting has always been there. Right. But there's alternatives. So I, I'm not saying you do it or don't do it. And I think what, what the key point that you're making that I that resonates with me is it's all about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You can still enjoy the lifestyle. Now, some people feel yes. that you can't enjoy it as much if it's not yours. Right. Use it whenever I want to. Go whenever I want to. Pride of ownership, whatever if the case. If I don't be. have that place in Arizona, as an example, and yeah. I have to rent, what if I don't have the same place? Yeah. I have to go to different places. So that changes or modifies the the experience, and I don't want that. Right. I want to own everything. Yeah. Okay. So, so now it's about choices still. Right. right? Then what's the impact of that decision? Right. And I think we make too many emotional decisions going into and through our retirement than have 
a back test of financial and rational conversation to see if that's really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a this is life is all about choices that leads to happiness. I'm going to make a, a statement that might be a bit controversial in the sense that everybody can retire with the retire with the lifestyle that they want for a short period of time. For 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 depending on the period of time. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. Right. And and that's called front loading your retirement. There's many many of our clients who we have structured in a way where their first let's say 10 years or whatever, yeah. whatever number of years, yeah. we we have them Spending higher. Spending higher or spending what their lifestyle requirement is. And then we bring it down in future years because they're older, they may not be doing the same stuff, or they can't because they don't have the asset capacity to afford that lifestyle for the rest of their, you know, 25 years after in their retirement. Right. And so that's okay because retirement is not um, what... It's not one commercial. It's not a, a continuous thirty-five year period. It's yeah, not it's a continuous. Change. It changes over a whole bunch of a variety of reasons. And and, it, and to be uh, dynamic enough or nimble enough yeah. to adjust this right. is what the beauty of what we do every single day is. It's how we can help these individuals, these families, adjust to what they want. Because everybody's definition of happiness in retirement right. is different, right. and it will change throughout your retirement. Right. So the, the takeaway here, and we, we got to wrap this up, is that be open to alternatives. If you're open to alternatives, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility. Okay, listen, uh, we're going to have to sign it off here. We've run out of time. Uh, let's leave it on one final note of our upcoming seminar. We're going to help people do exactly that, explore the alternatives. Tuesday, April 23rd at the Carriage House Inn at 8.30 p.m. You need to give us a call to register, 966-8400, or go online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.